Chapter One of Aunt Jane's Nieces on the Ranch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Aunt Jane's Nieces on the Ranch by L. Frank Baum. Chapter One Uncle John Decides. And now, said Major Doyle, rubbing his hands together as he half reclined in his big chair in a corner of the sitting-room, now we shall enjoy a nice cosy winter in dear New York. Cosy, said his young daughter, Miss Patricia Doyle, raising her head from her sewing to cast a glance through the window at the whirling snowflakes. Absolutely cosy, Patsy, my dear, responded the Major. Here we are in our own steam-heated flat, seven rooms and a bath, not counting the closets, hot water any time you turn the faucet, a telephone call brings the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, latest editions of the papers chucked into the passage. What more do you want? <laughs> this scornful ejaculation came from a little bald-headed man seated in the opposite corner, who had been calmly smoking his pipe and dreamily eyeing the flickering gas-log in the grate. The Major gave a start and turned to stare fixedly at the little man. Patsy, scenting mischief, indulged in a little laugh as she threaded her needle. "'Sir, what am I to understand from that brutal interruption?' demanded Major Doyle sternly. "'You're talking nonsense,' was the reply, uttered in a tone of cheery indifference. New York in winter is a nightmare. Blizzards, thaws, hurricanes, ice, la grippe, shivers, grouches. Drumsticks, cried the Major indignantly. It's the finest climate in the world, bar none. We've the finest restaurants, the best theatres, the biggest stores, and, and the stock exchange. And then there's Broadway. What more can mortal desire, John Merrick? The little man laughed, but filled his pipe without reply. "'Uncle John is getting uneasy,' observed Patsy. "'I've noticed it for some time. "'This is the first snowstorm that has caught him in New York for several years.' "'The blizzard came unusually early,' said Mr. Merrick apologetically. "'It took me by surprise, but I imagine there will be a few more days of decent weather before winter finally sets in. "'By that time—well, what then?' asked the major in defiant accents as his brother-in-law hesitated by that time we shall be out of it of course was the quiet reply patsy looked at her uncle reflectively while the major grunted and shifted uneasily in his chair father and daughter were alike devoted to john merrick whose generosity and kindliness had rescued them from poverty and thrust upon them all the comforts they now enjoyed even this pretty flat building in Willing Square, close to the fashionable New York residence district, belonged in fee to Miss Doyle, it having been a gift from her wealthy uncle, and Uncle John made his home with them, quite content in a seven-room flat, when his millions might have purchased the handsomest establishment in the metropolis. Down in Wall Street and throughout the financial districts, the name of the great John Merrick was mentioned with awe. Here, in Willing Square, he smoked a pipe in his corner of the modest sitting-room, and cheerfully argued with his irascible brother-in-law, Major Doyle, whose business it was to look after Mr. Merrick's investments, 
and so allow the democratic little millionaire the opportunity to come and go as he pleased the major's greatest objection to uncle john's frequent absences from new york especially during the winter months was due to the fact that his beloved patsy whom he worshipped with a species of idolatry usually accompanied her uncle it was quite natural for the major to resent being left alone and equally natural for patsy to enjoy these travel experiences which in uncle john's company were always delightful patsy doyle was an unprepossessing little thing at first sight she was short of stature and a bit plump freckled and red-haired neat and wholesome in appearance but lacking style in either form or apparel but to her friends patricia was beautiful her big blue eyes mischievous and laughing one hearts without effort and the girl was so genuine so natural and unaffected that she attracted old and young alike and boasted a host of admiring friends this girl was uncle john's favorite niece but not the only one beth de graf a year younger than her cousin patsy was a ward of mr merrick and lived with the others in the little flat at willing square beth was not an orphan but her father and mother residents of an ohio town had treated the girl so selfishly and inconsiderately that she had passed a very unhappy life until uncle john took her under his wing and removed beth from her depressing environment this niece was as beautiful in form and feature as patsy doyle was plain but she did not possess patsy's cheerful and uniform temperament and was by nature reserved and diffident in the presence of strangers yet beth had many good qualities among them a heartfelt sympathy for young girls who were not so fortunate as herself on this disagreeable winter's day she had set out to visit a settlement school where she had long since proved herself the good angel of a score of struggling girls the blizzard had developed since she left home but no one worried about her for beth was very resourceful there was another niece likewise dear to john merrick's heart who had been louise merrick before she married a youth named arthur weldon some two years before this story begins a few months ago arthur had taken his young wife to california where he had purchased a fruit ranch and there a baby was born to them which they named jane merrick weldon a rather big name for what was admitted to be a very small person this baby now five months old and reported to be thriving had been from its birth of tremendous interest to every inhabitant of the willing square flat it had been discussed morning noon and night by uncle john and the girls while even the grizzled major was not ashamed to admit that that weldon infant was an important addition to the family perhaps little jane acquired an added interest by being so far away from all her relatives as well as from the fact that louise wrote such glowing accounts of the baby's beauty and witcheries that to believe a tithe of what she asserted was to establish the child as an infantile marvel now patsy doyle knew in her heart that uncle john was eager to see louise's baby and long ago she had confided to beth her belief that the winter would find mr merrick at arthur weldon's california ranch with all three nieces gathered around him and the infantile marvel in his arms the same suspicion had crept into major doyle's mind and that is why he so promptly resented the suggestion that new york was not an ideal winter resort somehow the old major felt in his bones that his beloved patsy would be whisked away to california 
leaving her father to face the tedious winter without her, for he believed his business duties would not allow him to get away to accompany her. Yet so far Uncle John, in planning for the winter, had not mentioned California as even a remote possibility. It was understood he would go somewhere, but up to the moment when he declared we will be out of it, of course, when the bad weather sets in, he had kept his own counsel and forborne to express a preference or a decision. But now, the Major being aroused, decided to have it out with his elusive brother-in-law. "'Where will you go to find a better place?' he demanded. "'We're going to Bermuda,' said Uncle John. "'For onions?' asked the Major sarcastically. "'They have other things in Bermuda besides onions. "'A delightful climate, I'm told, is one of them.' The Major sniffed. He was surprised, it is true, and rather pleased, because Bermuda is so much nearer New York than is California. But it was his custom to object. Patsy can't go, he declared, as if that settled the question for good and all. The sea voyage would kill her. I'm told by truthful persons that the voyage to Bermuda is the most terrible experience known to mortals. Those who don't die on the way over positively refuse ever to come back again, and so remain forever exiled from their homes and families, until they have the good luck to die from continually eating onions. Mr. Merrick smiled as he glanced at the Major's severe countenance. It can't be as bad as that, said he. I know a man who has taken his family to Bermuda for five winters in succession. And brought them back alive each time? Certainly, otherwise you will admit he couldn't take them again. That family, asserted the Major seriously, must be made of cast iron with clockwork stomachs. Patsy gave one of her low musical laughs. I think I would like Bermuda, she said. Anyhow, whatever pleases Uncle John will please me, so long as we get away from New York. Why, ye female traitor, cried the Major, and added, for Uncle John's benefit, New York is admitted by men of discretion to be the modern Garden of Eden, it's the one desideratum of here the door opened abruptly and beth came in her cheeks were glowing red from contact with the wind and her dark tailor suit glistened with tiny drops left by the melted snow in her mittened hand she waved a letter from louise patsy she exclaimed tossing it toward her cousin but don't you dare read it till i've changed my things then she disappeared into an inner room and patsy disregarding the injunction, caught up the epistle and tore open the envelope. Uncle John refilled his pipe and looked at Patsy's tense face inquiringly. The Major stiffened, but could not wholly repress his curiosity. After a moment, he said, All well, Patsy? How's the baby? asked Uncle John. Dear me, cried Patsy with a distressed face, and no doctor nearer than five miles. Both men leaped from their chairs. Why don't they keep a doctor in the house? roared the Major. Suppose we send Dr. Lawson right away, suggested Uncle John. Patsy, still holding up the letter, turned her eyes upon them reproachfully. It's all over, she said with a sigh. The Major dropped into a chair, limp and inert. Uncle John paled. The, the baby isn't dead, he gasped. No, indeed, returned Patsy, again reading, but it had colic, most dreadfully, and Louise was in despair, but the nurse, a dark-skinned Mexican creature, 
gave it a dose of some horrid hot stuff. Chili con carne, most likely, ejaculated the Major. Horrible, cried Uncle John. And that cured the colic, but almost burned poor little Jane's insides out. Insides out? However, Louise says the dear baby is now quite well again, continued the girl. Perhaps so, when she wrote, commented the Major, wiping his forehead with a handkerchief. But that's a week ago, at least. A thousand things might have happened to that child since then. Why was Arthur Weldon such a fool as to settle in a desert place, far away from all civilization? He ought to be prosecuted for cruelty. The baby's all right, said Patsy soothingly. If anything serious happened, Louise would telegraph. I doubt it, said the Major, walking the floor. I doubt if there's such a thing as a telegraph in all that forsaken country. Uncle John frowned. You are getting imbecile, Major. They've a lot more comforts and conveniences on that ranch than we have here in New York. Name em, shouted the Major. I challenge you to mention one thing we haven't right here in this flat. Chickens, said Beth, re-entering the room to, in time to hear this challenge. How's the baby, Patsy? Growing like a weed, dear, and getting more lovely and cunning every second. Here, read the letter yourself. While Beth devoured the news from California, Uncle John replied to the Major. At El Cajon Ranch, said he, there's a fine big house where the sunshine peeps in and floods the room every day in the year. Hear that blizzard howl outside? And think of the roses blooming this instant on the trellis of Louise's window. Arthur has two automobiles and can get to town in 20 minutes. They've a long-distance telephone, and I've talked with them over the line several times. You have? This in a surprised chorus. I have. Only last week I called Louise up. Unexpensive amusement, John, said the Major grimly. Yes, but I figured I could afford it. I own some telephone stock, you know, so I may get part of that investment back. They have their own cows and chickens, as Beth truly says, and any morning they can pick oranges and grapefruit from their own trees for breakfast. I'd like to see that precious baby, remarked Beth, laying the letter on her lap to glance pleadingly at her uncle. Uncle John is taking us to Bermuda, said Patsy in a serious voice. The little man flushed and sat down abruptly. The Major, noting his attitude, became disturbed. "'You've all made the California trip,' said he. "'It doesn't pay to see any country twice.' "'But we haven't seen Arthur's ranch,' Beth reminded him. "'Nor the baby,' added Patsy, regarding the back of Uncle John's head somewhat wistfully. The silence that followed was broken only by the Major's low growls. The poor man already knew his fate.' That chili con carne nurse ought to be discharged, mumbled Uncle John half audibly. Mexicans are stupid creatures to have around. I think we ought to take with us an experienced nurse who is intelligent and up-to-date. Oh, I know the very one, exclaimed Beth. Mildred Travers. She's perfectly splendid. I've watched her with that poor girl who was hurt at the school. And she's as gentle and skillful as she is refined. Mildred would bring up that baby to be as hearty and healthful as a young savage. How soon could she go? asked Uncle John. At an hour's notice, I'm sure. Trained nurses are used to sudden calls, you know. I'll see her tomorrow. 
if it's better weather. Do, said Uncle John. I suppose you girls can get ready by Saturday. Of course, cried Patsy and Beth in one voice. Then I'll make the reservations. Major Doyle, you will arrange your business to accompany us. I won't. You will, or I'll discharge you. You're working for me, aren't you? I am, sir. Then obey orders. End of chapter 1